Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. I'm Sam Wilson. Joining me, as always, Zach Schneider and Liz Tory. Today, we're going to be reviewing Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince stepping back into a wizarding world far, far away. Uh, almost done with that series. Just got a couple more movies left. First, how are we doing, Zach? How are you doing this week? I'm doing just dandy. Doing just dandy. Alright, Liz, anything anything new to report with you? Keep it on, keep it on. I had a few auditions this week. I performed Saturday, and I bombed! I bombed! Oh. Yay! <laughs> we got the overflow in the Yoohoo room from the main room, because the celebrity stand-up was, was uh, sold out, so everybody was stuck with us amateurs, and they just were not happy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's more the situation than you, but... Yeah, you just got to do the best at your performance. Uh, Kate, my wife, was in the audience, and all of the comedians loved her. Every time they came into the back, they were like, oh, my God, that one chick gets it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, even when everything goes right with your performance, like, there's always going to be, or, or e even outside from outside circumstances, there are always going to be times where you just bomb. Like it's, yep. it's just it's just gonna happen. You just, it's just you just part of the process. It's just part of the process. You learn from that. You know, you know, it happens with comedy. It happens with uh, bands. You know, live musicians and stuff like that. Speaking of which, I just had a another gig with my band Gas Station Boner Pills this past Friday, which went I feel really well. People were very responsive to it. Uh, and yeah, I, I had a, a really good weekend in general. Yeah, I had a really fun time doing that, hanging out with friends, and I'm I'm uh. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about uh, the future. Feeling optimistic. I enjoyed the videos that were shared uh, from your performances this over the weekend. Yeah. It looked awesome as fuck. Absolutely. It was a good time. Yeah, we had a really good audience. People, people were really into it for sure. So I, I, had, a, I had a really, nice. really good time. Excellent. Excellent. Let's uh, roll right on into Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Spoilers Woo! ahead. Yeah, yeah, Full yeah. spoilers ahead for Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, the sixth movie in the Harry Potter uh, canon. So the, the first new character we're introduced to uh, pretty early on in this movie is Professor Slughorn, uh, played by, uh, I think, Jim Broadbent. Uh, what do we think of this uh, character over, over, in general in, in this film? He's a guy who is considerably nicer than almost anyone else previously associated with Slytherin, but he's still got quite a bit of that uh, self-serving ambition in there, which, to be fair, he, he does generally try and use to help prop other people up. He does, you know, try when he, he has an obsession with collecting people who have, you know, any sort of notable skills or possible chance to become famous. But he does also like try and network them and, you know, try and get them to, you know, branch out and connect to each other and see if he can build on that. So he's interesting. And also he's just kind of a fun character anyways. It's Jim Broadbent, uh, first and foremost. Yeah. Uh, Jim Broadbent is one of the most amazing uh, character actors of our time. You know, um, I, I first noticed him whenever he played Ziedler in Moulin Rouge so many years ago. And I have absolutely loved him since then. Uh, as Professor Slughorn, I loved him. I was wondering where his mustache went. Didn't Professor Slug Slughorn supposed to have a 
like a big walrus mustache Honestly, or something like that. I and, don't and remember some, that at some, all from the book. Some bookman's might eviscerate me for saying this, but who fucking cares? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like those yeah. little... Because like, there's also the uh, the artwork for Snape in the book shows him with this like, goatee, goatee beard. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's nuzzle. like, you know what? Like the, To me, like those like aesthetic details, like there are certain things like Dumbledore's got to have a long white beard. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's just Dumbledore's shtick. There's things like that. Like Harry's got to have you know the round glasses and obviously the scar you know like but there but there are other things like that as like a character having a mustache or not like i'm just saying i would have loved to have seen uh jim broadbent with a wilford brimley mustache (laughs) that's it that's all i want sure i would have added that to my spank bank (laughs) (laughs) it's a it's a slight critique I love his introduction, and I I think it's perfect. Uh, The plot thickens because, you know, now Dumbledore has to beg to get the new, uh, this new teacher, and he's going to become the chemistry teacher. So it's kind of like, hmm. Yeah. We know what happens. Of course, this is the one where Snape finally becomes the defense against the dark arts teacher, which, I mean, this is a little bit of a pivot, but that's actually one thing that I would have liked to have seen a little bit from this movie is seeing them actually in DADA class with with Snape. It's a very small nitpick. I don't think that it actually takes away from the movie all that much, but it would have been fun to have actually seen Snape's methodology as a defense against the dark arts teacher. Of course, we see a little bit of a hint of that in the movies, uh, just in the second movie with the, the, the dueling club scene, where theoretically Snape is the assistant, but he's really the one teaching, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I honestly think that um, they could have showed us a little more of him actually showing the, the students how to defend themselves, and that would have helped push the idea that whenever what happens happens later... Mm-hmm. You know that Snape really did keep it really did have the kids uh safety in mind. Yeah, it wasn't just trying to leave them completely in the cold. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, and we see, we see that and we we talked about that in the third movie where he has that scene yeah. where he covers uh the kids, you know, he he, mm. he physically shields Between him them and Lu- from Lupin, yeah. from the were- from werewolf Lupin, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The one line that I miss from the book cuz I'm actually like agree that like most things in the book I don't care. I I would have liked to even just as a little bit of humor. It's like, all right, so now we know that he's got the DAA job. He's not. He's going to leave after this year. It's like, all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like we all know. It's like, it, but... oh, it's, it's the it's the one year defense against the dark arts curse. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I enjoy Slughorn. I mean, going back to Slughorn, I do actually enjoy this character. He's very flawed. He's a very flawed character. He does a little bit. Um, I don't know if spineless is really a fair term to use for him. Like I don't think it is because he was he was burned. Yeah. Mm. He is fearful, but the idea that he's carried all this weight all these years that he's the reason why Voldemort rose in power. Yeah. yeah. He he is extremely vain. He is very, very vain. vain. Yeah. yeah. And very vain. Yeah, more to the point, his entire deal is knowing people of being at the center of these connections and having all these amazing people like him and love him and care about him. And so he's got this one tiny little secret that shows that he was made an extremely bad judgment call one day that yeah. potentially yeah. resulted Trying in... Trying to be cool. Yep. 
And so it's it makes perfect sense. It's totally in character. It's it's not spineless. Oh, yeah. It's just it's totally in character. Yeah, you know the one thing that he would not want anyone to know is. But he is no hero. No. And I think that's important to accept. Yeah. He is Slytherin through and through. He is no hero. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like the way that that it, the ambition that he has does extend to his students. Like, it, it, I mean, there's always this thing of like how how self serving is he? Like, is he is it really about helping these students for the sake of helping them, or is it about um, trying to elevate him and therefore kind of elevate himself or kind of live vicariously through them type of thing? At the same time, like, every everyone's a little bit self-serving in their own way, and and I don't begrudge anything about... Like, he's a very flawed person. He's a very flawed person, but I think he's an interesting character, and I don't, I definitely don't think he's a bad man by, by any stretch of the imagination. I think the Hagrid scene, the scene where he's showing up with Hagrid, that informs a lot because... I was just thinking he that. He does go up, he does immediately say, hey, you know, can I get some venom for the stores? But he sticks around after. He mm-hmm. says yeah. Kind's word at the funeral. He drinks with Hagrid and commiserates. It's He looks for advantageous uh, elements for himself, but at the same time, he's not a total shit human being. Exactly. Actually, my favorite scene with Slughorn is when it's, it's right after the Hagrid scene you're talking about, after Aragog's, you know, their, their, their kind of impromptu funeral for Aragog. You know, he, he's having that drunken conversation with Hagrid after the fact, and it's the thing that starts off almost as, as a comedy bit of, you know, the, the goldfish that disappeared, and then after Hagrid falls asleep, it it takes like the scene takes this turn. It becomes this this really sad, beautiful kind of monologue about how he, we find out Lily had conjured that fish for as a present for Slughorn, and how he had treasured that fish. And the day that she died was the day that the fish was was gone, disappeared. It's it's beautiful writing. It's a great performance by Jim Broadbent to kind of take that turn. You know that that tonal shift within the scene, like. It's it's one of my favorites. It's probably my favorite scene with Slughorn, just because of I just think it's a really beautiful scene. No, absolutely, it's amazing. Of course, that that whole sequence ties in with Harry taking the uh, the liquid luck, which I'll, I'll kind of this isn't exact. It's kind of Slughorn adjacent, but I'll kind of pivot to the whole. I guess the usage of the liquid luck uh, throughout the movie that at one point we think Harry put it in Ron's drink, and then it's revealed that it was a psychological thing. He didn't actually, and then. Harry finally takes the liquid luck. And this is also one of my favorite sections of the movie because Daniel Radcliffe's performance while he's under liquid luck is so fucking funny. Just this weird, <laughs> yeah. this weird drunk high, like what, what even is this thing? Like it's liquid child luck. Is on something. <laughs> like I always wonder if liquid luck is really just bullshit. It's actually just a little shot of vodka that just gives yeah. you just this cop. Like that's, that's kind of like, <laughs> It just gives you the confidence to not give a shit, you know, like. (laughs) I'm just going to follow my every whim and I'm just going to be really confident about it. That's. Yeah. (laughs) I loved every time someone asked him why he was doing something, he was like, I just think it's the place to be. Yeah, exactly. I just think it's the, and, the and thing to was, do. And, and the thing that 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 uh you know supports you know the liquid luck thing is like he's right every time. It's like he yeah. knows yeah. exactly where to go. It's like <laughs> I, love the, I love that one line. It's like oh why you know I really insist you have to go to the castle. Oh no, that would be counterproductive. To what? <laughs> yes. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Counterproductive to what? I don't know. It's counterproductive. <laughs> but 
that, but that's what this movie is. And you're talking about, you know, that 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 shift in that that scene in Hagrid's hut. Like that's what this movie does so well. Is it is it shifts between these these tones of like is this simultaneously one of the more comedic movies in the series while also being one of the more dramatic movies and, and darker movies in the series too. Yeah. <laughs> and it shifts between those so expertly. I feel like. Uh, it's it's really well balanced, you know. Like you you get the the kind of the best balance of you know the last two movies, which are like really dark, but while still having that that more lighthearted flavor from the early movies too. Like this movie feels like a really good kind of uh, balancing act between those. Another amazing Slughorn scene actually is the scene with uh, the love potion where. You know, Ron is, you know, over the moon for Emilda Vane, a girl he has never met in his life. <laughs> you know, he's uh, Slughorn gives him the antidote. It's like, oh, God, what have I done? And then literally seconds later, Ron is poisoned and he's dying on the floor. And it, it works somehow. They managed to, like, expertly make it so that you immediately go from one of the funniest scenes in the movie to this absolutely horrible Scary. moment. Yeah. and. It doesn't feel like out of place or it's yeah, it's amazing transition. Absolutely. Such good pacing. Yeah, they kind of lull you and it's like, oh, it's, it's got to be a funny scene. And then you're right. It takes the, the shift. It's like, oh, hey, the plot's back. Now we're back in the plot uh, in moments where you don't expect it. And yeah, it's it, it's really uh, just well-constructed, well-paced uh, m- movie in, in the franchise. Of course, like throughout this movie, uh, we kind of feel the sh- the looming shadow of Draco Malfoy over this entire thing. I mean, literally, they'll be in the middle of a completely different scene. You know, we'll see like Ron and Lavender m- making out, and then we'll transition over, and fucking Draco's just standing there on the ledge, <laughs> like what? Like some creeper, <laughs> fucking creeper. But I mean, I I gotta I gotta give so much props to to Tom Felton, who I think gives his best performance as Draco in this movie. He's he's so tortured throughout this entire movie because throughout the first five movies, we we've thought that Draco, like Dra- we've just seen Draco as being the bully. He was the classroom bully the entire time. We find out that his dad is is evil, is actually evil, is a terrorist or whatever. But Draco's just been this this bully this entire time. And now he doesn't even want to. He's being pushed into this position of now having to work for Voldemort. And he's taking it even a much darker turn. And we see even even his bullying of Harry, it's a lot darker because because of what Draco's going through. Like, like there's even more of that that anger inside of him because of his his dad just went to Azkaban. He's being coerced into being a Death Eater, and you know that that scene where he he uh, he kicks he he pe- he uh, paralyzes Harry, kicks him you know in the face, and throws the cloak over him. That's like that's like the cruelest thing Drago's probably ever done to Harry uh, in 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 the movie series. I think that Tom Felton does a phenomenal job of this, but I also think that. Draco Malfoy is one of the dumbest people to ever walk the face of the planet. He has all these powerfully cursed items, and he fails every fucking time, like some type of cartoon character villain. I mean, every time he has this this thing, until the very end when he decides to use uh, the, the closet to bring people uh, forward. He needs someone else's help to, to achieve this. I love the conversation that, I love the conversation that Dumbledore has with him at the end about he must not have really been trying because you, 
they were pitiful attempts. And that's how I would feel. I was going to come back to that. And I think that's true. I think that yeah. it really comes down to and, his heart you know, wasn't in it. His heart yeah. really wasn't in it. Draco really didn't want to do this. Yeah, you even know? Harry saw that at the end. It's like, I know as much as I hate Draco and I've been ratting on him all year, even I could tell he wasn't going to do it. He was lowering his yeah. wand. But throughout the movie, you're like, <laughs> dumbass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's so stupid. And then at the very end, you're like, oh. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a few moments. There's like, again, I have to give props to Tom Felton's performance because there's those scenes when it's just him alone with the vanishing cabinet. And there's such a interesting performance going on there. It's that mixture of hope that he's getting it right the frustration that it's mixing up and also you do also kind of get the impression that he doesn't really want it to work either because he's feeling he's disappointed that it works conflicted. yeah he's yeah extremely conflicted in the whole endeavor then there's disappointment in his eyes yeah for i really sure. do believe that yeah there's there's no victory for him when it actually works when it's whether it works or whether it doesn't there wasn't a victory for him yeah yeah, so I think that this is the most interesting movie for for Draco as a character, and and I I, agree. I, I love what, what they what they do with him. Uh, we meet Narcissa Malfoy, his mother. We meet in this movie, and there's that scene towards the beginning with her and Snape and Bellatrix, uh, where Snape makes the the unbreakable vow uh, to protect Draco. Am I am I crazy for saying this? Like I always felt this from reading the book, and I even get this a little bit from the performances of. Uh, of of Alan Rickman and uh uh I think Claire McRory plays Narcissa Malfoy that like I always felt like there was a little something going on between Snape and Narcissa. I don't know. Am I the only one? Like I think it's because of how close that curse is that they're doing. Yeah. Uh, there is a there is a little bit of uh sexual tension between the two. I always felt that way. I felt that yeah. way when I read the book. I honestly yeah. did, but Me too. Me too. And uh the more I read it and, and when I watched it I was like Oh, it's because when you make this, when you make this vow, it's an unbreakable vow. It's, it's like getting married. Uh, so it makes sense that there's this sexual tension between the two characters. But yeah, even in the words of the book, it, it, there is, it's there. For some reason I never picked up on that much, but no, I, I definitely agree that the whole thing is like deeply intimate. So I can, I can definitely see where that's coming from, but for some reason, yeah, I just never, never came across as, I remember the book. Quite I the felt that before. I felt that before they even made the vow. I honestly yeah. did. I just I felt like there. I felt like there was something like whether there was like literally something actually happening between them, or whether it was this kind of unspoken they thing. Used to like date. it was just it was just something they used to date. Whatever. <laughs> there was a little. There was a little side fling going on, or something. I don't know. Or or there was just this like unrequited, unspoken thing between them that BDSM Thursdays, baby. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I don't know. It was just something that I, I always kind of felt like even even when I was younger, like just reading the book, I remember thinking that. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I, it's, it's just like I just wanted to throw that out there and see if I was the only one that that always kind of felt that way. But re really good scene. Like just I mean, Alan Rickman's entire performance in the whole series, but in this movie in particular, like. There's so much going on behind, you know, j just the machinations and the way that he's able to play both yeah. sides 
the way he's able to play both sides of this and just give this really interesting and ambiguous performance. It's just, yeah. And I, I think it kind of starts, it starts with that scene, you know, that unbreakable vow scene. There's just a lot going on there. As much as I, you know, waxed on about Tom Feld's performance, um, Alan Rickman's performance in this movie was just incredible. Just so much going on there with relatively few scenes, but so, of course, like, the, the whole thing about Slughorn's role in this movie is Harry's trying to get one particular memory uh, from Slughorn about young Tom Riddle. Of course, we find out uh, more about the backstory of Tom Riddle in this movie. Uh, we, we see one memory of uh, Dumbledore going to see Tom Riddle as a, as a young, young child in the orphanage at the beginning. Any thoughts on this scene? Of course, we always kind of joke about how uh, Dumbledore, you know, is the exact same age, except like, maybe like, you know, 10, 15 years before that, he was Jude Law at one point, but... <laughs> <laughs> Boy, he fell from the ugly tree, didn't he? Oh. <laughs> Not that Michael Gambon is uh, is ugly, but he's no, no but Jude I'm... Law. <laughs> I love the consistency they show us that from the very beginning, you find out that Tom Riddles was Michael Myers. Tom Riddles <laughs> was fucking Michael Myers. He was a sociopathic piece of shit psycho <laughs> who enjoyed torturing. And Dumbledore ignored that. He saw the signs. Many people saw the signs, but they ignored it with with Tom Riddle. I think it's a theme all throughout the movie. You almost get the impression that he hoped he might be able to make a difference, that he might be able to help him out. But there is something very clear. Like, that was not something you could actually help a child with. Just the way that he described hurting others. It's like, that's not righteous vengeance. That's just a little sadist that likes to see people squirm. After knowing how he dealt with Grindelwald and going back and and reading the excerpts and and watching it, I I wonder if he wants to save Tom because of Grindelwald. Maybe. I have a thought about this. It's a thought that occurred to me when I was watching the movie yesterday, which is I wonder whether some of what we're kind of perceiving about young Tom Riddle being this like cre- cre- creepy sociopathic kid has to do with viewing things as memories and the biases created by people's memories that Dumbledore is remembering this event. Maybe the kid wasn't actually that level of creepy, but Dumbledore is remembering it this it's way, the way because, he remembers it because he's remembering it with the bias of knowing that this kid is going to become Voldemort one day. And so he's remembering it as being creepier than it was, which could even be uh, kind of a meta explanation for why Dumbledore looks old in the flashback is that he's he's kind of remembering it as he is now type thing. Yeah, yeah. It, he has trouble and that makes sense. Remembering his younger days, and that makes sense because later on we find out that people do tint and change memories mm-hmm. uh, yeah. with Horace Slughorn, and I the color scheming of his dream. Uh, I like that idea, Sam, about uh, if it's if it's tarnished because he's remembering back and he knows now and he's looking back. I like that idea. Yeah. That's pretty cool. There's other things that play into it, like the row of seven rocks in the windowsill yes. and the photo of that, you know, seaside beach that it's like, yeah, did Tom Riddle really just have a photo of that beach and remember that or is this part later? of his... This, yeah. is, this is part of uh, Dumbledore's lists mm-hmm. 
in his head. I yeah, like is, he, is he thinking about, was he already thinking about that location, you know, knowing he had to go there at some point? I think it's a fascinating theory. Yeah. I have a theory. Yeah, but <laughs> I also explain with one of my minor criticisms with this, which could well be explained by this, is that, like, even teenage Tom Riddle is, like, way, way too creepy and obvious as a villain. It's like, this man is, this child is going to try and kill people. This is very obvious, Slughorn. Good lord. <laughs> Which, on the one hand, could be, it's like, I don't know, could be just like a one of the few acting missteps in here, or it could be just be that memory thing. It's like, yeah. You know, at the time, it was probably a more innocuous conversation, or seemingly more innocuous conversation, but looking back, Slughorn remembers the menace. That's true. Yeah. We, we do tint the things that we look back on. Yeah, that's that's my personal theory, because I know that that has been a criticism of this movie, that young Tom Riddle is, like, too creepy and too obvious of a villain. Yeah. Like, it's interesting that, like, we see uh, one of his memories in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and he's a lot more charming uh, and, and yes. a lot more charismatic in that, but that's Tom Riddle's memory, so of course he's gonna remember himself that way. As charming yeah. and lovely you know, and, it's, yeah. It's like, so it kind of makes, I think that the, the difference uh, and like maybe the truth of it is somewhere in the middle and yeah. it's just it's just people remembering things based on their own biases that is actually my personal theory and i'm gonna stick to that i have a theory it could be bunnies <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you for picking up on that <laughs> i have a theory we should work this out <laughs> <laughs> It could be Bonnie's. <laughs> Never gets old. I love Anya. <laughs> yeah. Anya's great. <laughs> of course, we, we find out about the, the Horcruxes in this movie, which there has always been something that just didn't quite add up to me in this movie about how Dumbledore is like, I gotta find out what's going on with, with Voldemort. It's like, oh, it's all about the Horcruxes. I'm finding out now there's a bunch of Horcruxes. By the way, I've already been hunting these things. Yeah. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> to me, that's a, that is a problem I have, but I can't actually blame the movie on that because that's it's it's a thing that you can't avoid that. That is the main plot of the book, but it was a problem in the book. It's like, but he kind of knows already. Why does he need to? Yeah. I think he already knew that they were Horcruxes, but he needed it to be confirmed. Might also have needed the confirmation of how many he was thinking yeah, about. Yeah, he did find confirmation of the number. Yeah. Seven. yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that he needed the confirmations, but he's been looking for something. I don't understand how Dumbledore didn't know what all of them, about what all of them would have been knowing who Tom Riddle is. Because his, his Horcruxes are pretty elementary whenever it comes to him. These beacons, these talismans of great wizards of the past, because he thinks he is all those wizards in one. He thinks that he is the greatest sorcerer who ever lived. I think the most creative Horcrux was the snake, actually, because most Beginning. people most yeah. people wouldn't like yeah. expect a living animal to be a Horcrux. I feel like they're looking for objects. Yeah, do like the confirmation that yes, Voldemort is a lich. <laughs> getting into the the half-blood prince storyline itself we kind of touched on snape already but uh i love that i mean kind of going back to the, the mix of comedy and drama like i love the scene where harry and ron come across the two used textbooks the one that's like it's a reward like there's there's this great just like authentic teenage moment of just fighting over the good book 
And then, of course, Harry, even though Harry loses, he later finds out, oh, wait, I actually did get the good book, you know? <laughs> but uh, I just love this idea that even though it's Snape's ambition to be a defense against a dark arts teacher, even as a, a kid, he always had this affinity for potions, and he was a really good potions uh, yeah. kid, you know, like... like apparently just knows more about how to make potions than the actual official textbook, which has been updated in, you know, 50 years or whatever. It's like, get a new fucking textbook. Snape, <laughs> you're a potions master. Write a new textbook. You probably could do that. You're a professor. Like, uh, whatever. <laughs> I mean, he does live in, like, apparently, uh, you know, small town flat, you know, with uh, lots of writing. He's got a typewriter, for instance, which is, I think, is, you know, pretty rare for wizards. It's like, okay, Snape, you could totally just mash out a new book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that. Like it's one of the things that just occurred to me the moment just now. It's like, yeah, why? Why is this Snape like written a new edition of that? It's like Dumbledore would probably be cool with that. It's like, oh, cool, Severus. This is this is a good textbook. We'll go ahead and replace the the the, the old ones. Like, I oh, don't know. Okay, yeah. well, that's that's a weird tangent, but yes. Yeah, I agree. The book. What do we think of the book? It's it's a good plot. It's a good device for getting for letting Harry get an insight into who Snape was as a person because this whole time he's just been this big ominous figure but now he's relatable he sees that he's brilliant and also thanks to the sectum sempro spell you see that okay he's always been a little bit vindictive or maybe quite a bit vindictive a little bit i think he wanted to use that on james i'm quite certain he wanted to use that on james at some point <laughs> uh, i think it tells us a lot about snape it's i love the big reveal in the end but it it tells us a lot about his childhood thoughts how he thought of himself i think it reveals a lot about his temperament it's one of those things that this movie really benefits from multiple watches because it's one of those things like you watch a movie for the first time if you ever read the book or whatever it's like oh who's that but prince it was like snape does it was like oh snape was that but prince then you rewatch the movie with that information, and a lot of things fall into place, yep. and they make sense after the fact. Which is one thing I always liked about these movies. Like I felt that way about the quarrel twist in the first movie, uh, and and you know, there, there's other examples of that. But I I, th I think it's it's really well constructed. I love the horror in Snape's face whenever um, Harry uses the curse mm -hmm. on uh, Draco. The realization, yeah, the shot of him spell. standing over Draco is just amazing. Yeah, the horror in his eyes as he looks at Harry because he knows what he used. Of all people, he knows what he used. Yeah. I find it interesting that Snape, with the exception of that one scene where he's like, oh yes, because you're the chosen one, you can suddenly have powers no one else has. You just know who is to blame for this. Great job, Potter. Like, apart from that, he's not nearly as critical of Harry as he has been throughout most of the rest of the series in this one. And I gotta think that seems part of it, because, again, he doesn't say anything about James, he doesn't say anything at all, partially because that's a recognition that that's not, like, a holdover from James or some other move, that's him, that's what he did as a kid, mm -hmm. that's directly his abilities coming back and causing harm. Yeah. I love the scene where Snape goes up to Harry at the Christmas party and relays the message that Dumbledore's traveling. It's like, and, and Harry's like, traveling where? And Snape just, he has this solid beat of just like looking at Harry for a second and then he just walks away without saying anything. There's something about, <laughs> there's just the timing of it, like Alaric's performance. Yeah. Just, it's so funny. Just like, do I, do I want to respond to this? Nope. I, I actually don't, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I don't even want to make fun of you, Harry. I just, I just don't want to be <laughs> it's here. It's not yeah. even worth my time. <laughs> it's like I, I relate the message I was asked to relay. It's like I just, uh, I, I actually don't want to be here right now. So bye, Severus out. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me. I mean, it's, it's a little bit not as emphasized in the movie version as it was in the book, but it is t- talked about a little bit how Harry does have this kind of obsession with the book, and and he feels almost a kinship towards the Half Blood Prince. It's like, oh, this is a kindred spirit of mine almost, which is really interesting that uh, unknown to Harry that that Snape, you know, one of the people that Harry frankly kind of hates the most in the world. I don't know. I, I just I find that I, I I just find that kind of juxtaposition interesting. In in an alternate reality, maybe Harry, if if Harry and Snape had been the same age and have come up in Hogwarts together, maybe they actually would have been friends. It's 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 interesting to think about, you know, because Harry, like as we've mentioned, Harry has things in common with James, but he's also very much not James in 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 certain in ways that that matter. So I don't know, just something to think about. We've also got some uh, teen romance. There's a, actually a lot of it in this one. <laughs> yeah, so I, I have to bring it up. Romance. I have to bring it up because it's actually a pretty big part, part of the movie. It is actually a very big part of the movie. Growing up, Ron and uh, Lavender Brown. Uh, <laughs> one 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 one. Oh my one one. Oh no, I enjoy it. I think there's some good. <laughs> like, like she is absolutely obnoxious, but she's supposed to be. There's some good yeah. uh, moments of humor, like her. Fogging out the the window on the trade car and making the the heart and the art <laughs> like that's like it's psycho. It, yeah, it's total. It's a total psycho move. Yeah, that's the oh, thing. Yeah. It's like, and both Ron and Harry's reaction to that both crack <laughs> me up. They're so disgusted. Ron just looks afraid. You know, he's like smiling, but there's fear in his eyes. And Harry's just like, like playing with his with seat. The, just with like, the moment he just like pulls down the seat, I'm just like, oh my god, that's. <laughs> It's like, it's like, I feel like a lot of us have been in those situations where, ju- where we're just kind of the awkward third wheel and something that's happening and we're just like, uh... Oh, I'm gonna ignore this. <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't be here for this right now, but I also can't uh, get out of this at the same time. It's like... <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's so good. When you feel the embarrassment for the other person. Exactly, exactly. Is that absolutely? There's also a great moment with Lavender when right after she and Ron uh, break up, and they're like, "Oh, she's still just upset about it." And they look back, and she's like, practically vibrating with you know rage and sadness, and like, "Yeah, she's a little upset." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> reminds me of scott pilgrim where it's like oh scott remember how you dumped kim oh kim she's fine with that they like pan over to kim and she's just she she, like like, (laughs) (laughs) no like i mean i I can't even like criticize the romance because it's so clearly the romance that you're supposed to be rooting against and (laughs) it is but it's so like, like it just leads to a lot of great moments of humor uh, so like I I I actually really do enjoy this subplot. Again, I, I think in the ways that it's, it's kind of meant to be. Again, this is not meant yeah. to be. You know, the couple that we're rooting for in any no. way. No, <laughs> not in any way. No, and when he actually calls out for Hermione when he's uh, when Ron is uh, in that sleep, everybody feels just as vindicated as Hermione does when yes. she does a little head like. Mm-hmm. I also just love like the sheer 
the the specific crowd that's there. You got Slughorn and Dumbledore and Snape. <laughs> yeah, Snape is all, there too. Yeah, and they're just like all like deeply uncomfortable with the situation. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, of course, Dumbledore makes a comment. Ah, oh, young love. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Dumbledore's weirdly like eating the shit up. I feel like yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be young and in love. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've only got like a year or two left. I'm you know I'm just gonna be eating this shit up as much as I can. <laughs> well, at that point, he's got like two months left, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I used to cuddle Grindelwald like that. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one time he and I went camping in the woods. We had to huddle, huddle together for body heat. <laughs> Whoa, Dumbledore! Whoa! <laughs> like, oh, we can transfer more body heat if we take off our clothes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, of course, we were camping in the jungle at the time, but you know, still <laughs> <laughs> gotta keep the gotta keep the practice up, you know. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> so I mean, in this this uh, movie, of course, like really is is doing more to develop the kind of Ron and Hermione thing. Like it is that kind of love triangle, and I mean, I know how we feel about love triangles, but it it may it makes sense. I think like this, this one is, works. This, this this is also like one of those times where I I think for a lot of kids around this kind of sixteen seventeen year old age, you know, it's easy to get distracted. I think it's it's yes. it's it's like you know you might know deep down who you want to be with, but then but then like what about this new person who's like oh she's like so obviously into you right now? It's like sure, why not? You know. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important to date around, so I'm glad to see that he dated one other person. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's exactly it's stated exactly by Ron in the movie. It's like oh yeah, love is a chemical thing, and I'm like yes, it is just chemical. That's that's yeah, the thing. It's like 100%. there's no basis Pheromones for this and hormones. Yeah, you're crazy young teens with way too many hormones going through you. So. Yeah, yep. he does. You're right. He does have that self awareness. It's like, oh, this is chemical. Well, last, who cares? I'm a free agent. You know, it's like that's all. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's it's a very realistic, like kind of you know m- mindset for you know b- being being that age and you know yeah. Uh, and so, but what what about Hermione's? You know, I mean, the, you, your heart kind of breaks for her in that scene where she's she's kind of crying on on in the stairwell. And I love, you know, Harry's being a good friend. Like he's just he's he's not, you know, he's 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 respecting her boundaries. He's just he's he's just sitting with her. And like I, I there's there's yeah. some great, you know, just friendship scene. Yeah. friendship moments between them. I know some of the fandom uh, gives Hermione shit for uh, 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 having the birds attack Ron when he shows up, but you know, it's whatever. <laughs> uh, it's realistic. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my thing. It's like they are teens and Hermione is a very tightly wound person who doesn't make a lot of mistakes and she tries yeah. to keep herself controlled all times and when a tightly wound person snaps a little, it's a big snap. It's, yeah. Um, so it's like is that like the best thing for Hermione to do? No, but yeah, it makes sense for her character. It's, it's I completely buy it. Yeah. I agree with that for sure. And then of course, uh Harry and Ginny is... I think my problem with it is that it feels like this movie, and even this book to some degree, just kind of decided, okay, now Harry likes Ginny, and we're just kind of being told (laughs) that. It's like, okay, I feel like we could have built... Like, if that's what we're going with, I just think that there there might have been a more organic way they could have built up that, or that just telling us, now Harry likes Ginny. Yeah. 
I don't know. Like it's it's one of those things where they just don't have any chemistry whatsoever. And part of it's I don't know. Like they didn't really have that much chemistry in the book. I don't really know how they got there. And then also like they'd cast both you know uh, Dan Radcliffe and Bonnie Wright like way before they knew this was going to be a thing in the books. So they didn't you know even try to like have any sort of chemistry going at the time. And it's very clearly that. They don't really have any on-screen chemistry as far as romance goes. They, they both yeah. do, they both do their best. Like They're I think trying. I think They're both trying. actors I, I like so. and and I, I I'm gonna give some props to Bonnie Wright because like I know that Ginny is uh particularly in the movies is kind of a maligned character and I think that that's fair but. I do think that she does the best job she honestly can. Like, I actually like a lot of aspects of her performance in this movie. But you're right, she and Dane Radcliffe don't have really much chemistry and i think that's just it, it goes it goes down to p- partially the actors i think it also partially goes to the writing too i i just think that it, it it's it's a very shoehorned romance and hmm. i know we said this in the last review but like you know what you know who harry does have chemistry with is fucking luna like <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the few scenes where luna's in this movie i'm like well that's that works that's great there is chemistry there they also share a similar past yeah so i think that they had bonding uh, i think that they had reasons for bonding uh Eh, the, the whole the whole Harry and Ginny thing is just really pushed, and and it feels like kissing cousins. It's yeah, because yeah. he was raised with the Weasleys, and it's just fucking gross. You know, Molly and Arthur are kind of his parents, and yeah, you don't want to be daring the child of your parent for very obvious reasons. <laughs> this is my uncle daddy harry <laughs> sweet home alabama <laughs> oh god it's just gross it's, yeah that's that's my thought i was like mm, that's not I don't like that. It was a little better, maybe in the books, but it, I, I, it still is not one of the, one of the. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, yeah. I'm not a big fan of it either. One and like, I, the, I didn't really like it in the books either. I didn't either, but I think it was better by comparison. Is what, what more what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, like it's like I, I think there was more of an effort to, to kind of build, build it up. up. There was more build up. I think that that's more what it was. It's like I, I think is again, if you're gonna do it. Like, sprinkling little scenes throughout of kind of trying to maybe start to build, plant the seeds of that romance, I think yeah. maybe could have worked better. But it's like literally the first time Harry sees Ginny, he's like, oh, something inside me awoken where I don't like Ginny all of a sudden. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> it's weird because, like, it really does come across that he he kind of views her as, as a little sister in the previous movies, and it's just like... It's almost like you took a gas station boner pill. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I understand, I also understand, again, it goes to being 16, that, like, you know, things happen with, with hormones and stuff like that, and, like, it's the whole thing of, like, seeing the girl, like, that you haven't seen since summer break, it's like, oh, she really filled out since last summer. Like, I understand mm-hmm. that kind of thing can happen. <laughs> I understand that at that age, that kind of thing does happen. Like, all of a sudden. Yeah. But at the same time, like, this is what, this is the couple that we're, that, that, that we're sticking with, with Harry. Like. Yeah, that's, they're trying to sell it as an end game thing. And I'm like, I 
don't know. Yeah. And again, like talking about planting the seeds of it, there are a lot of great scenes between Harry and Luna in the last movie and this movie that I think could be building towards a, a deep friendship, which is what they end up having. But it also, that's something that could organically blossom into something else. If, mm-hmm. yeah. again, if we feel the need to give Harry love, and I would have been fine if they didn't even give Harry love interest at all, personally. Um, or or if they just said, you know, in, in the epilogue, and Harry met somebody after school and married them, like, that would have also been fine, because yep. that, that's also in some ways more realistic. It's like, how many people really stick with who they dated in high school? But it's yeah. like, I mean, it happens, but... Those poor sons of bitches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Wizarding World's kind of insular. I guess everyone knows everyone, and, you know, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of people are related to a lot of people, and, uh, you know, well, it really is a... Uh, European Alabama, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there is a family tree of wizards. It might have a lot of branches, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do like to keep them inbred so that they keep all of the full-blooded wizards there, you know, so... <laughs> well, so it's, uh, it's more like one of those bunion trees instead of a... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what about that sequence in the burrow where the Death Eaters show up and the burrow ends up burning down? Like my understanding is that that's actually not from the book. Um, from, from it's been a long time, but yeah. I, know, I know at least the burrow burning is not in the book. I don't remember if the, no. the fight in the, in the field happened or not, but I know that's something that a lot of book fans tend to criticize. But I mean, any thoughts on that whole sequence in general? I think it's effective because a big part of it and, you know, a big theme of this movie is that all of those little safe places that people can go are no longer safe. They're, everything's coming under attack. The danger is not just something that you go to school and eventually Voldemort attacks you, then you go back home, or but you're able to retreat to the burrow or the Dursleys. But nope, I like that it is setting up that the entire world, thanks to Voldemort coming back, is now inherently unsafe. That this is a threat that is going to follow them everywhere. Yeah. I agree. I agree for the same reasons. I think that it it, it does show that, that kind of lack of, of safety going forward. Again, I, I know that... There's no structure. I know a lot of people don't like the scene because it's not it's not in the book. and It, 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 it is a pretty... It's one of the more major deviations of like, hey, one of the main families houses burned down. Like that's kind of a major deviation in some ways, but I I thought it was fine. I thought it was cool. And you like again, it, it's it's two things. Like number one, for the pacing of a film, like, and this is also my defense of the dragon sequence for Goblet of Fire, like. It felt like it was about time for an action sequence, but it works in the plot. It makes sense in the plot, and it ties together with that kind of intro sequence yes. as well. I think this scene adds more to the movie than uh, than any other scene that they deviated from the books from. Yeah, because it it aids in furthering the story and letting us know just how much structure is left in this wizarding world. I agree. Yeah, and I, I love that that opening sequence of the movie where we see the Death Eaters attacking the Wizard World, and then we see them attacking mm-hmm. the Muggle World. We see that yeah. even that nobody's safe now. Uh, you know that when they, when they destroy the, uh, the the Millennium Bridge in London, like it's it's a just a really cool sequence from a filmmaking standpoint. But oh yeah, it's like it's it's that great visual storytelling that's like this is the yes. kind of stuff you could do in a movie. It's like cool it's like in the books we have this thing of like the prime minister meeting the minister of magic yeah. it's like that's that's <laughs> it's fun. hilarious it's it's fun 
but like for a movie, like like it's it, in that that's that's the way it'll like kind of uh, you know sum up what's been going on and, and kind of do uh, a state of the the universe thing in words for a book. But like, <laughs> listen, this is a movie. Like, show us visually what's going on, and I think it's really effectively done. I would have loved to have been able to see Fudge go. Oh no, they sacked me weeks ago. but this this movie has more of a serious tone and i know they play with a little bit of the humor but you can't have too much of the humor looking at where england is uh at a standpoint of the stability of the wizarding world because when that stability falls down it's not only bad for the wizards it's bad for the muggles and then soon the rest of the world so I think that taking this more serious route and letting us know where the stakes are, raising those stakes and showing us that the stakes are raised uh, is a good call. I do love stakes. Stakes uh, are good. Me- medium rare. <laughs> uh-huh. That's just like cows on marijuana. The stakes have never been higher. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> High stakes. <laughs> now I want to. Now I want to do steaks that encrusted with cannabis butter. <laughs> Call them high stakes. <laughs> God that's, damn it! That's, that's very. That's very California uh, meal what? right there. <laughs> just took a trip out to Washington recently, and it was just amazing. It's like, oh, that's just a straight up weed store. Okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> what about the relationship between Harry and Dumbledore in this movie? Uh, get your mind out of the gutter, people. There's like a hundred <laughs> years between them. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, th- 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 this is something that's really a big focus on of this movie is is placed on th- this kind of dynamic. You know, after the last movie where Dumbledore's just been like talked to the hand the whole movie. Now, you know, they're, they're really kind of developing that relationship. Uh and and I know there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to it. It's complicated because Dumbledore is in a lot of ways using Harry for a lot of this movie. But I don't know. What what are you guys' thoughts on on that particular dynamic? Once again, I don't think that uh, I'm not saying Dumbledore doesn't care for the boy. Dumbledore cares for him, but Dumbledore keeps that wall up. Even now, Dumbledore keeps a wall up. He's not. He's not talking to Harry any other way other than his apprentice. And he knows exactly what he has to do. If anybody knows anything about the Horcruxes, Harry has to know about the Horcruxes. And Dumbledore wants Harry to know about the Horcruxes because he thinks that Harry, even at this point, is one of the Horcruxes. So Dumbledore feels like he needs to start letting him in on this secret because he knows he's not going to be alive to fight this fight. And he knows he's probably not going to be alive to take out what needs to be taken out. So he is putting this mission in the hands of Harry Potter, knowing that in the end, he will have to be sacrificed. Not knowing whether he will choose to go along with it, but knowing that if it's going to work, Harry has to fall. But the best person to take care of it is Harry, because Harry has a little piece of Voldemort in his head. It's, a, it's, it's what you mentioned earlier, it's the apprenticeship, that he is very much setting up Harry in a lot of ways to be the next Dumbledore, but not for very long, because he knows that Harry is going to have to die. Dumbledore has an extremely utilitarian view of Harry. Everything that he does has utility yeah. in this. And one of the more striking things is that he's views himself as utilitarian too, especially during that scene in the case yes. where 
expendable. He's willing to, you know, cut his own blood. He's willing to be driven insane by the potion. It's not that he's completely selfish in terms of, you know, oh, everything's going to turn up Dumbledore. It's he is willing to sacrifice literally anyone and anything, um, including himself. And he's trying to make get Harry to a place where Harry will sacrifice himself in the end. Yeah. He's he's teaching Harry to think the same way that Dumbledore does. Exactly. Which is not necessarily a kind thing, because Dumbledore is not even particularly kind to himself in a lot of ways. But it's also why Dumbledore wanted him to see the conversation between Snape and Dumbledore, so that he would see that everyone is expendable whenever it comes to killing Voldemort. I think that there's truth to that. I also think that, and, and it's a lot of this just goes to Michael Gambon's performance, which is also really excellent in this film, which, yes, there's utility to it. Like, even from the first scene, he's taking Harry to go see Slughorn because he knows that, you know, hey, I've got to, par- like, literally just meeting you Harry. You want to collect him. Come on, yeah, collect him. Exactly. There is that aspect of it, and there is the knowing that he, he he's going to have to do what's necessary. He, he may have to give up Harry, sacrifice Harry, sacrifice himself, sacrifice anyone he has to in order to defeat Voldemort. But I also think that there's... There's a genuine and intense sadness about the fact that he has to do that. Not even just in the fact that, you know, Harry is one of his students in general. But I think what McGonagall tells Harry at the end is is right. I think he really does genuinely really care about Harry. And I think that he can't help but kind of develop that. I mean, that even just that that scene of, you know, before they they go to the uh, the 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 cave to to get the the one Horcrux and he he just has that look at Harry. He's like, oh, you you need you need to shave my friend, you know, and that's kind of him starting to view Harry as being a, a, a man like. There's like there's there's a sadness behind that behind a lot of the way that he looks at Harry of like I really do think that Dumbledore really does care a lot about Harry and it really does tear him up that the, the things that he has to do but he also knows that he has to do them because he he's absolutely he's looking at the greater good so I, I completely agree with you I completely agree with you um but Dumbledore is going to look at the bigger picture and I yeah. I love yes. that about Dumbledore's character you know that he knows what he has to do and he does like he doesn't really hesitate or stop doing what he has to do at any point but you do also get the sense that despite all that he does kind of hope that harry makes it in the end and hope that harry genuinely does have a good life or however short it's gonna be what about that cave sequence it's like one thing i also just want to mention in general about this movie and this is something that occurred to me on this last rewatch which is that i actually really want to see david yates direct a straight up horror movie because yeah. there, are, there are scenes in this movie even yeah. uh even uh katie bell like levitating with that that one cursed necklace it's like yep. it's that really was creepy as shit. it was really creepy it's and scary. then Everything in this cave sequence is, like, really unsettling, especially when those water zombies or whatever they are come out. Like, it's 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 really effective horror. Yeah, one of my favorite shots from that sequence is, you know, a scene where they start to see the boat coming up and there's something floating in the water. And it looks kind of like, you know, seaweed, kind of like kelp. And then right before it cuts away, you briefly see a hand come up and you realize, that's not kelp. That's hair. <laughs> Something's yeah, down it's there. Actually, it's actually Gollum, like, holding onto a log, following <laughs> <up>. <laughs> It's a precious. It did, um, 
Oh, he's been he's been, he's been following he's been following us since Moria. Don't worry about him. <laughs> <laughs> when, when did we go to Moria, sir? What? <laughs> yeah, the undead definitely sneak up on you in this, and it's it's people have that argument of fast zombies are scarier, slow zombies are scarier, and really it doesn't matter how fast or slow they are. The way they creep up on you in the scene, it's scary as fuck. I was gonna say, I think water zombies are the scariest, actually. I think water zombies <laughs> are the scariest, yes. Definitely. <laughs> David Yates taught us that. <laughs> it's it's kind of weird, but it really illustrates to me like how actually terrifying Voldemort is, because in the books, yeah. you see a little bit about it. He's got a snake face, he's a mean guy, he kills one or two people. And then you find out he's got an entire cave filled with possibly hundreds of dead bodies, and you gotta wonder how many of them he made himself. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, he is actually really goddamn horrible. Good yep. Lord. And that, that harrowing scene of, again, I want to give Michael Gambon and Daniel Radcliffe props for their performances, but where Dumbledore is having to drink the liquid. Oh, my God. And, yeah. Harry, and Harry has to and force him. He has to force him to, to drink all of it. It's just. It's, yeah. It's, uh, where where he actually starts to beg and he gets teary eyed and he's just full of fear from whatever's going on from the side effects of that potion and I think it's scarier from the end of we can't see or hear what's going on in in Dumbledore's head we just see how this how this liquid is affecting him all we know is that you know one of the most controlled people in the series is literally begging for death and yes murdering. exactly like, yeah and I, I think it's way more effective that we have no idea what specifically is going it on. is yeah it's a great so that that whole sequence is just incredibly well done are we already to the climax any any other uh are there any uh-huh. other scenes that you just want to mention before we get to the the, cli- the climactic showdown off the top of my head i do want to say that I do actually really like the Quidditch scene in this because this is one of the first times in a Quidditch match where we don't focus on Harry at all and yeah. it feels like a real sport for once. I was actually yeah. going to say, um, I do actually really enjoy the Quidditch scene as well for that reason. And also, I just think that it's way more, di- and again, like props to David Yates, I just think it's shot way more interestingly and dynamically than like, like I like Chris Columbus as a filmmaker fine and that, that Quidditch scene in the first movie was fun. But this, I like, even though it's like it's it's just a snippet of a game. Like, I just think that this it's just way better. I part of that I think it's just just the the uh, the the strides forward and in, in VFX from movie to movie. I think part of that is is it what it is. But I don't know. Like, like I I just had that thought of like I I kind of wish that the the Quidditch scene in the first movie was shot this way. Like, honestly, it's one of those things where I think a lot of it is just kind of the way it is shot because. Even during it, it occurred to me, it's like, you know what, if they weren't on brooms, if this was just like a soccer match, I'd still be as invested. This is just yeah. really well done. That's the thing, like, it really, it feels like a really good, like, sports movie. It's like, that's why some people always say, I, I know our friend Jeremy Caldwell, uh, I've heard him say, it's like, all I want is a Quidditch sports drama movie. That's all I want. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, you know what, I, I feel that, yeah. yeah. And of course, I mean, I'd watch it. we've talked about how broken the rules of Quidditch are, but it's one of those things, like, I do like the fact that, you know, regardless of whether it actually matters on paper, yes, we're focusing on Ron being the goalie, and and, and, and I like the fact yeah. that, 
you know, he becomes kind of the hero of the team. And he did it all on his own. He did yeah. it all on his own. Yeah. He wasn't doubting himself. There is something to be said about the psychology of, you know, and because this is a real thing of like, if if you believe that you can succeed, uh, then like- You, you have you, more you of a really chance. Can. Yeah. You have, you have way more oh, yeah. of a chance. Yeah. Like it is all about that. Because I think that people sabotage themselves with, with self-doubt. And they I do. love love the the idea Doubt that and fear yeah. and you know if you go into it thinking it's like literally nothing I do will go wrong and you're willing to try more daring stuff yeah. which she does. You know what would have been awesome in this movie oh, yeah? for uh, Hermione Granger to wear a shirt for the Society of the Promotion of Elvish Wel- Welfare or as I like to say or as she likes to call it spew. You know what? It would have been, even if we're not going to include the subplot, have, just having her wear a t-shirt just as a little Easter egg would have actually, so. yeah. actually been fun. Yeah. That would have actually been fun. That would have been fun. Yeah. yeah. Have her, like, handing out the little badges. Police. Yeah. The little yeah. badges. I think that that would have actually went far. But yeah. oh, well, I'm giving up the ghost. <laughs> I love Luna Lovegood wearing the uh, the Gryffindor lion. Uh, oh my it's, god, it's like, yes. Yeah. It's it's so funny. Just the reveal of like, they look over, it's like, oh, hello everybody. They look over and she's just wearing the fucking lion. And it's like, and nobody says anything. It's like, That's okay. our Luna. Yeah, no, that is yeah. Luna. I love that she she's like, that's not even her house, but she's like, her buddies are in Gryffindor, so she's gonna support yeah. the team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I do actually love that. Uh, I think Luna becomes an honorary Gryffindor by the end of this, honestly. Yeah, she's definitely. Nice. She's part She's definitely 100% part of the team, Gryffindor and no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into this climax at the uh, the, the, the astronomy tower. Uh, Draco and Dumbledore have their face off again. Once again, we've already mentioned it, but just the performances by both Tom Felton and Michael Gambon during this scene is just so good. The writing, the the, the filmmaking, the music and everything. But, you know, just the, the, the anguish in Draco's eyes as he says, I have to do this. Not I want to do this, but I have to do this, you know. Yeah. This is clearly something that he's he really doesn't want to do. I think it's just, I think it's a great scene, you know. I love Dumbledore calling him out, letting him know, I've been watching you all year. I know the things that you've done, but I, I feel like your heart's not in it. And I can tell that you really don't want to do this and you don't yeah. have to do this. It doesn't have to go that way. And I love that he he does try to talk him back from that. And he doesn't want the stain of him killing someone to be on his soul or his conscience. And I, I think that says a lot. Talking about Dumbledore from that, uh, master plan kind of person, you, you see how important all of his students are and even manipulate. He knows that he's going to die in this moment. He's not in a hurry. He knows that Snape is gonna, gonna have to kill him, but he's trying to stall for Snape to get there. And he's trying to make sure that. Mm-hmm. It's not Draco that does it. In fact, knowing what we know now about what Snape was destined to do, that Dumbledore had wanted him to kill him eventually, that line where he sends Harry off and says, don't tell anybody else, just get Snape, yeah, almost makes you think, it's like, he wasn't getting Snape for a cure, was he? No, he wasn't. He knew what time it was. It's killing time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, of course... The big spoiler from this book, I remember I was one of the people that got this spoiled for me when this book came out, but yes, Snape kills Dumbledore. That was like every, fuck, I I don't know if you remember, like, when did this movie come out? Like, 06? People trying to ruin it. This, there there was, yeah, the Snape kills Dumbledore, like, banners people were throwing up and just, like, on, on, you know, Neopets message boards. Actually, that was where I got it spoiled for me, was on Neopets, actually. 
uh that'll date that'll date when this book came out but uh <laughs> <laughs> again just, just the just the performance by alan rickman is so interesting and ambiguous when when he yeah. does that that avada Kedavra, you know i don't know the pain in his eyes whenever he does strike him down I, it says yeah. a lot and uh, mm-hmm. i love it uh, after seeing what happens i mean when i when i first read the book i thought that it was going to be like a like a Gandalf type thing that he had a plan to come back in some form or another, which he did. He came back as a ghost. Um, <laughs> but I knew that it had to be some plan. I didn't doubt Snape. I was one of the few because I've always liked Snape. I was I was on the fence. Like I, I it actually occurred to me that this could be like a deep, deep cover double agent yes. situation it occurred to me because it's too obvious for him to be the bad guy yeah it's but too I also obvious thought that maybe he could be like i was 50 50 on it when i read this book now i also thought that dumbledore had some trick up his sleeve and that he was yeah. actually gonna, gonna turn out to be alive like there was there was all these different uh you know theories about oh that wasn't actually dumbledore was was they come back to the tower that was like you know like a dead body that had been transfigured or something like there was this whole thing like mm-hmm. yeah it was a larger dumbledore exactly. much in the vein of a uh, larger luke what <laughs> <laughs> what about what about jakey look at hagrid there's a couple shots of these movies of jakey look at hagrid where it's not robbie coltrane but like a size double in a, in a hagrid mask but there's one or two <laughs> shots where you could kind of tell it's like oh that's jakey hagrid that's like what that's like that's like ps1 video game hagrid uh <laughs> but yeah i mean i i think it's a really well done uh scene overall like i this is this is a nitpick but like it's it's one of those things like i don't know if i really love the hans gruber like slow motion falling scene with dumbledore like i i don't know there's something uh. about this is honestly just me as a director kind of, like, coming in with, like, my personal ideas of how I would have done it, and also based on how I kind of imagined the book. Of Like, I kind of like the idea of, like, not making it this over-dramatic, over-sensationalized thing, but just have him cast the spell and just have this silence come over and just, just show... Yeah. Just show Dumbledore falling over the balcony the and, di- and, just, and just disappearing, and then we don't even see him... Yeah. Yeah, like, like I, I, I kind of think that just doing it a little more, just kind of living with the shock of that moment, maybe instead of playing up the drama of it. But at the same time, what they did wasn't bad and it wasn't wrong. It's just, it's kind of a, my what I maybe would have preferred for, for type of thing. But that's like the tiniest, tiniest nitpick, though. They made up for it with the with the scene where they banished the. Uh, where they banished and cleared the the sky with light. That was great. That was actually a really good mess. scene. Yeah. It gets me every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every time I watch it, I'm like, I'm, I'm, it's not going to get me this time. It's not going to go, oh, it got me. It got me. Yeah. <laughs> I always expect for some reason, and this is so dumb, but I always expect for the dark mark to be replaced by like a Mufasa face of Dumbledore in the cloud. <laughs> I always think that's going to happen. It's like, oh, wait, no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> this is not quite that kind of movie. Very. <laughs> You have forgotten who you are, so you have forgotten me. (laughs) Remember. Simba, avenge my death. Wait, wait, wrong cloud. Wrong cloud. I'm going to go back. Harry Potter, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Oh, wait a minute. That's that's a couple of movies back. He just like, he just face just pops up in the cloud. like, did you put the name in the Goblet of Fire? (laughs) 
Oh god, that should have happened in the next movie where they, they have to, like the, the 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 double door like booby trap where like a, a uh, uh like an image of double door just flies at them <laughs> flies when they at open someone. up. It, it should, they should have had to just yell like, out, "Hey, did you put your hand in the coming to fire?" What? Oh god! What the fuck? <laughs> Uh, and of course, uh, Harry and Snape have their face off. Of course, Harry tries to cast uh, stupid se- Harry Sectumsempra mm-hmm. on on uh, Snape. Yeah, Harry's yeah, just completely you caught dare up. In- try, try to use my spell on me, boy! How dare you? And then he kicks my- him in the nuts. Yeah, <laughs> but of course, it's it's, well. it's that also it's that great ambiguity of Snape's actions that he he does that thing of of you know. No, he belongs to the Dark Lord, which is something that a Death Eater might do, but it's also him keeping Harry alive at the same time. Like, Yeah, it's really not ambiguous, because all through there, Snape doesn't blow up anything, Snape doesn't break anything, and the only thing Snape does on, their, on his way out is throw the, the, the whatever spell is coming in back. Just delete right. it. I, I think that speaks tons. The one, the one person he does directly attack is that Orr, and he doesn't kill him. He just no knocks him back, and, gets you know, him out of the way. Him. Yeah, and I love that turn when Bellatrix sets Hagrid's hut on fire. Snape and Hagrid were never really close; they never had any moments. But it's still like that moment of expression where it's like, I really don't want to be doing any of this. Yeah, yeah. and kind of wish she didn't do that. But yeah, but he still keeps it cool. I gotta keep it cool. cool. I gotta keep it cool. They must know. They must think that I'm Voldemort. I'm a Death Eater. Gotta keep it cool. Yes, I'm the Half-Blood Prince. (laughs) 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 And it's such a big surprise for Harry. Really? So who who do you know, Harry, that uh, deals with potions and uh, has some really evil-minded spells? Who could possibly fit <laughs> that description? I got it. Well, going back to Sectumsempra, that's like one of the most like sadistic. It's, it's one of the most sadistic spells. It's up there with the Cruciatus Curse, and in some ways worse uh, yeah. because it causes like actual because injuries. They bleed out. Yeah, they bleed out. Yeah. It lets you know where where Snape's mind was back then. Yeah, when he created it. There's a detail I like from the book that I don't hate that it's not in the movie, but you know I kind of get why. I think the scene is perfect as is in the film. Um, but they do like the detail that Harry himself had tried to, like, fix the wounds. And one of the sadistic things about Sectumsempra is that normal healing spells don't, don't work. work. It literally yep. has to be Snape's specific counter curse that he invented for this. Yep. He made yeah. the curse and the counter curse. I remember in the wake of this book coming out, there the whole uh, mystery, you know, people debating who R.A.B. was. A lot of people did figure out that it was Regulus Black. And I like the uh, the seed of mentioning Regulus Black by name is yes. actually done at the beginning mm-hmm. of this movie. It's one of those things, again, you rewatch the movie, you can put that together. Again, I think that it wasn't necessarily, and we'll get to this when we get to Deathly Hallows too, but I, I think the R.A.B. thing was this thing that was really built up as this big mystery. It what, was it really as huge of a deal as maybe it was made out to be? But at the same time, like it's still cool, you know. I, I guess I guess a little thread for them to follow going forward. But I might be misremembering this a little bit. But I think that there's a scene in the book which I'm really glad is not in the movie because I think it was kind of pointless. Where Harry has this kind of like end of Spider-Man one conversation with uh, uh, um, Ginny, where he's like. 
Oh, I, I got, we got to break up, baby. Cause like, I, I can't, yeah. keep, I can't yeah. keep you safe, babe. Like you're always going to be mm-hmm. in danger. It's like, no, I'm glad that they just didn't bother with that in the movie version. Yeah. Like <laughs> skip that. Yeah. <laughs> Cut it out. Let's go into overall thoughts in our score of one out of 10. Zach, I'll let you start. So something that we didn't talk about as much, but which I just really have to hammer home is that. In terms of cinematography, this is one of the prettiest Harry Potter movies I've seen. There are some really amazing shots. This is a gorgeous film with really just clever film work. And as a matter of fact, in a lot of ways, this is probably one of the best made films in the series. Um, Just the actual work on hand. um, The performances are fantastic. The direction is amazing. Again, the cinematography is... There's scenes that are like straight out of paintings that are just gorgeous. Um, and the only things that really bring this down, this movie down for me, are also problems that I had with the book. With Dumbledore kind of already knowing about the Horcruxes, so why are we going on this quest? The Ginny romance, yeah, I didn't think it had any chemistry in the book, and it still doesn't have any chemistry in the movie. Again, despite Daniel Radcliffe and Bonnie Wright's best efforts, that... They just didn't really have any chemistry in the scene. But I can't really hold that against the movie because it is just so, so well made. It's not my favorite in the series, but just because of the sheer craft that went into this, I am giving this a 10 out of 10. I think I have to go 10 out of 10 also for for all the same reasons, because like I... I almost would take a point away for the Ginny romance, but to be honest, it doesn't actually bother me enough for me to really hold it again. Like, it, it, it's a problem with the book. And granted, also being a problem with the book doesn't make it okay for the movie. But at the same time, it doesn't, it's a small enough part of the movie, which is part of the problem with it too, but, but it's still a small enough part of the movie that it doesn't really bother me all that much. And like, I think that, again, if we're going with that in the movies, I think given the trajectory of the previous movies if we're deciding that this is what's happening now i honestly think it was executed about as well as it could be executed like there are those scenes with that kind of tension between them which which is you know well which is actually pretty well done i just think that it's something that should have been if this is the ultimate romance that we're going with the seeds for it should have been planted throughout this, the the movies and the books. I I just think that suddenly deciding that this is what we're going with uh, that that's that's really the issue that I had with it. But I still have to agree with you that I I give this movie a ten out of ten. It's it's because of the cinematography. It's because of the writing. It's because of the pacing. I think it has some of the best performances in the series. Again, it's not. It's actually not also one of my top, top, top ones. Again, Prisoner of Azkaban and and what one or two. I know there's only two more, but we'll get we'll get to the last two. But this is still uh, really ranks high for me among the series, and I am going to give it a ten out of ten. Also, all right, Liz, why is this a one out of ten for you? <laughs> I, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, no, uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be three in a row for us, uh, because it is a 10 out of 10. I think that David Yates gets the world of Harry Potter. I think that even when he diverges from the book, I might have a gripe about it, but of all the directors he gets it, it's why out of the last 11 credits on his wall, on his IMDb, nine of them are Harry Potter related. I'll always go watch the movies that he that he makes because I love the way he tells a story. 
and uh, he got the color scheme, he got the theme, he sets up this world that's believable, he gets really dark when he needs to, and in the same movie, we have rhythm where we come back and we have a little giggle. You know, there's rhythm in this movie. This is one of the saddest ones that, uh, the saddest uh, parts of of the Harry Potter franchise, and he captures that. I can't say anything else other than, yeah, it's a definite 10 out of 10 because he knows how to tell us these stories. And what's funny is that this isn't one of the movies that really, like, I really enjoyed it when I watched it, but it's not one of the ones that really stuck with me as much as some of the other ones. Like, I thought I actually ranked it lower, but it's one of those ones that every time I come back to it, I just just like it a little more and more. There's a lot of things that, subtler things that I pick up on. As I come back to it, and you're right, like, as as I grow older and I, I appreciate really good filmmaking and cinematography, yeah. it really does have some of the best uh, cinematography and it filmmaking does. in general in, in the series. You know, it has a great score as well, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like all all of the the elements is like like in addition to being a, a really emotionally affecting movie, is also just a really well constructed one. But having said all of that, Zach, where can the folks find you? Folks can find me on Facebook as Zachariah Schneider. They can find me on Twitter as at Zachariah Schnet Four. Zachariah S C H N E Four. Liz, where can the folks find you? You can find me on the. No, I'm not going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) On all social media, Facebook, Facebook, um, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, and Twitter under Liz Tory. L-Y-Z-T-O-R-Y. I'm Sam Wilson. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at SCWilson underscore actor, or you can follow my band, Gas Station Boner Pills, at The Band of Boners. You can follow NerdShit at the NerdShit Pod on all social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure wherever you're listening to this podcast that you subscribe, leave us a review, leave us a star rating, leave us some comments on the social media platforms. NerdShit News, every Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 o'clock Pacific, we're going to be live streaming on our Facebook page. So again, make sure you're following us on Facebook at the NerdShit Pod. Uh, and we're going to be live streaming that. You can also go back on our Facebook page and, and uh, watch the, the, the previous uh, episodes of Nerdshit News. All right. Up next, we're going to be reviewing Avengers, the first Avengers movie, finishing out phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Finally, after long have I waited. Yes, I'm very excited <laughs> to get into this one. So again, make sure that you're subscribed again anywhere you listen to your podcast so you never listen to an episode. For Liz Tori and Zach Schneider, I'm Sam Wilson. Thank you for joining us for Nerdshit. Nerd shit. Nerd shit. Stay shitty, nerds. Nerd shit. Nerd shit. So strap on in. Girls are talking about the nerd shit.